Hi, everyone. Thanks again for tuning into Indie Beat, your podcast of choice. Today, I am interviewing filmmaker Tyler Taramina. He did the feature film Ham on Rye, which should be coming to you soon. It's doing the festival round, and you'd love to see it, so you should check out, see where it's playing around you. We are on the Playlist Podcast Network. Do check out the other shows on there. And for now, listen to us. Hi, everyone. I am here with Tyler Taramina. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm trying to keep it real, you know. Tyler has made a great film called Ham on Rye. It is his first feature. Is that correct? It is. It's traveling the festival circuit now. We'll get into that in a little bit, but first, I want to know, and the people want to know, how did Tyler get into film? Well, I, I don't know. I, I've shown symptoms uh, since a young age, you know, uh, stealing video cameras and whatnot. Um, uh, when, when I was 12, I, 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 would, I made a sketch comedy show that I, we, I used to air on public access. It was inspired by the Chappelle show and the Amanda show, if you know those. Um, so I was always kind of doing things like this, and then um, I don't know. I studied screenwriting uh, in college, and I had a, a specific aspiration to write for kids' television, sort of sort of reviving the Nickelodeon golden age that I loved in the '90s, things like Pete, Pete and Hey Arnold, and that um, just kind of gravity took me to uh, to cinema, world cinema. And I think what I do now is something in between those, those those two worlds. Yeah, I think your feature is a good example of that. Um, interesting, because I also had a sketch comedy troupe when I was younger. Is that right? Um, we what did, were your reference points? Uh, Kids in the Hall. I love Kids in the Hall. That yeah. is the beginning and end of sketch comedy right yeah. there. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> Didn't discover them until later. Yeah, that was on, uh, we started in junior high, so it was airing on Comedy Central around then is when we really got into it. Um, yeah, I still quote from it. I still do uh, Flying Pigs. Oh, the car one. Did you ever see the car alarm one? Uh, by name, it's not coming back to me. Yeah, the car alarm one where it's Mark McKinney and he tries to steal a car and the okay. car like has this, like, state-of-the-art car alarm, and it starts fucking with him. That's great. No, I, I almost certainly have not seen that, but it sounds pretty awesome. It's fucking weird as hell. So, yeah, they're... But it's actually funny that you mentioned Kids in the Hall, because I have this fixation on Ham, and it started with Kids in the Hall. I realized that later. Do you know, like, they, they make so many references to Ham as, like, <laughs> a symbol of masculinity. Like, there's one where, like, he, uh, he's... Uh, Bruce? Bruce. He's up late at night, and he's... This ham is so salty. <laughs> He's complaining to his wife about her ham and how she prepared it. <laughs> so good. It's so funny. You said that, and it's like vaguely familiar. I can't remember that, but I, oh, I, <laughs> I immediately heard Bruce saying ham in his like his very particular like Canadian accent, like his character accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, before uh, narrative film work I, I worked on a, a kid's series called suburban legends and we would hide the word ham in every episode i don't, I don't know why I, it just happens <laughs> did you like ham growing up no i don't know no i didn't <laughs> <laughs> i just thought it was a funny word and I don't know. yeah 
It is terrible. I like still kind of hate ham to this day. I don't eat meat anymore, so yeah, hamless. R.I.P. Man. Anyway, um, so you ended up studying screenwriting. You said. Yeah, that's right. And where did you go? What What was that program like? Yeah, I studied at Emerson College. Uh, it was pretty commercially driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty conventional. I don't know. I, but also, I, I learned a lot of interesting things in school, too. Uh, I, I took, like, an art of noise class. I studied uh, post-colonialism quite a bit. I don't know. It, it was cool. I, I, most of my collaborators are uh, friends from college, so I think that's uh, pretty uh, important. Weigh, weighs a lot in, in the trajectory of how things have transpired. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What made you study screenwriting as opposed to other things in film? I never thought I would be interested in them. I know, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. You want to make films? It's so stupid. Getting, yeah. I thought it was ridiculous. I don't know. I, I, I thought that, oh, you know, writing TV, that's so, like, that can happen, I'm sure. Like, okay, I'll do that. Um, and I loved those kids' shows, too, growing up. They really did inform a, a lot of... Uh, I don't know, joy and creativity. I mean, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I didn't ever think, I never made a film in college, I never wanted to, and and then, you know, what happened was, when I got out to Los Angeles, where I moved after school, uh, I realized no one reads scripts, no one knows me, like, I have to make these things in order, to, and then I just fall in love with them. So. so we talked a little bit about uh, growing up in suburbia, and very, fairly similar, um, places new jersey and and long island um yeah what do you before we get on to like the big talk about suburbia um what do you did anything happen for you or like kind of influence you towards going more into tv from just like being i guess around new york that's that's a good question uh well i think that one of the things that comes to mind when you ask that is uh, I look at Long Island and the landscape of Long Island, especially culturally, and it's it's a lot of people who love TV and don't give two shits about movies, so I don't know, it was, it was very much in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I only really got in touch with movies uh, when I left Long Island, really. So I don't know. Maybe it was just part of the spirit. Also, you, you talk to family and friends, and you go back, and one of the only things they talk about is, is, is television shows that they're watching. It's just nuts. And all the, also, what they do watch TV. It's it's it's, it's very much the the way of life. Yeah. But wait, also, I wanted to state I, I I hate television. I really have grown to detest it so much. I don't I don't want watch it anymore. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> Do you like any any like modern TV now? There's been a few shows that that, that I've, I've tapped into over the years, like Twin Peaks: The Return. Uh, sure, uh, yeah. Nathan for you. I mean, you can't really you can't really do that anywhere else. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. You know I mean, that, that's that's really something special. Um, I, I watched a little bit of Now Apocalypse because Greg Araki's a hero, but um, I don't. Oh, know. I didn't. It's it's very TV like too much for my taste. Yeah. <laughs> what is that on? It, it was on Stars. It got renewed for another season. Oh, um, I didn't know he had one. Okay. Yeah, actually produced by um, Steven Soderbergh, I think. Whoa. And, and, you know, it has some cool shit to it as well. It, it, 
it, it it's fun, and, and it's especially fun to live in Los Angeles and see this show that's trying to capture modern Los Angeles because it does. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a little too televisual for my taste. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My take on it on television is that I don't really take it very seriously. Right. Um, you know, it's uh, and and people's television habits are so strange to me. I get that it's different, but. People will literally sit there and watch hours of something and they don't even like it, you know, just to like give it a chance or whatever, because it's this long running thing. Um, But, you know, uh, honestly, like Twin Peaks and Nathan for you are some of the most brilliant things I've seen in my life. Absolutely. Um, So, hey, credit where credit's due. Um, I'm curious, though, because we we had like kind of similar... childhoods to an extent i mean it's like they're we're not super rare uh specimens but um i guess maybe for the show and now that i'm thinking about it did anybody you kind of grew up around like in high school and stuff like that did they go off and want to do film and study film television stuff like that well i guess this is the part where i say that i was a musician my former life that's that's what i was doing on long island i was and in college mainly too i was studying screenwriting but i was playing shows uh, four times a week sometimes mm-hmm. so the band i had with uh, our mutual friend john davies uh and in long island it was just all about the basement scene we made many records uh in, in home studios and um Music really was everything to me then. None of my friends had filmic aspirations from there, and to this day, none of them do. Uh, more so the friends in college I made uh, had this, this track. But yeah, no, no Long, Long Island to me was the days of, of music. Uh, really, really good stuff. Do you still feel that way? Because I kind of, I grew up more with, the passion for music for, you know, punk emo indie shit. Um, and then I, I, I had a love for like sketch comedy and we were making stuff and I was like, well, you know, I'm not really good at music. Like I don't know how to do it very well. Um, I was in a band and I played bass and I got by because I did very simple things, but it was like film. I could, I really have always wanted to do that deep down. I don't know a lot about it, but I want to learn it. And then I kind of found myself getting away from music. Um, yeah. How much yeah. of it is a part of you? I mean, you still play, I imagine, right? Very rarely. We played two shows last year in 2018. We, as in my band Cloud, which I, is mainly a solo project that John Davies and my AD, David York, the three of us are in it. Um, yeah, I, music w- was sort of an accelerated hobby for me. It was something that, that, that was not only my passion, but it is how I identified. It's truly the identity that I clung to in my you know, more formative years to, to cope with, you know, all the feelings that you have when you're younger. Um, and I have to say, one of the biggest heartbreaks of my life was um, shedding that identity, shedding that skin. It took a long time, and, and also this accelerated hobby became serious. Several of my albums have been pressed to vinyl from labels in this country and that. Uh, nothing huge, but but more so than uh, I think that maybe the average high school, college band, you know, uh, might endure in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, 
but I think a big theme of, of a lot of the things I've been doing, including Ham on Rye, um, which I don't mean to spoil things from the film, but, but is just about uh, drifting away from, from music uh, and your relationship with music, uh, which I think is sort of forced upon people as they get older and, and um, beholden to, to the real world. I was always under the impression that you kind of aged out of the whole thing. Like, not listening to music, of course, that would be a silly thing to say, but kind of uh, playing in, playing music, trying to be in a band, stuff like that. It always felt like there was an age limit on that. Yeah, it's, it's so strange, isn't it? Especially, you know, taking, on, uh, taking the, the filmmaker persona, and at the end of the day, a lot of these things are roles that we play to, to, to continue our lives. Um, it was strategic. I did notice. Look at these filmmakers. They are able to like do their thing until they're like seventies, eighties. Like that guy was one hundred and four when he made that movie. What the hell? Yeah. Musicians, you're almost expired by forty something in this pop pop music of the states. It's not like you know, like Indians' relationship with the tabla or sitar. It's not like that at all. Or, or it's not even like like jazz music, which people play all throughout their lives. The type of music that I think you and I are referring to, it has a. a, 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 a it has a model, a, a prototype, a schema to it that that really uh, is not suited for longevity, and that that that's I don't know what that's a product of. How do you think being a musician affected the way you kind of direct and make films? Well, um, I think that it it really uh, makes me approach the, the canvas, so to speak. Uh, non-literally, L- lyrically, so so to speak, and I, I am more interested in, in rhythms and tone and textures than I am in plot and character. Uh, I am, yeah, I, I think that there are similarities here and there. Also, my obsession and addiction to music uh, factors into the movies that I've been making so far because they're just totally strewn with music through and through. Um, so in these ways for sure so you've made you said you worked on a, a television project and I noticed there was a short film and I I didn't know anything about it so I, I only looked at like stills on IMDB and it seemed fairly similar to Ham on Rye mm, uh, yeah in ways in, in ways it, it um it was my first real film, so to speak. It's a half an hour, so um, the few semest- festivals we did submit to uh, didn't, didn't touch it. Uh, and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing then in terms of that kind of strategy for festivals, which is a whole game in and of itself. Um, so virtually, I, it's an unseen movie, but it's, you can find it online on Vimeo. It's called Wildflies, and it's, it's, it was made it was very subconsciously, not with no interest in story or anything like this and it's it's sort of a series of, of vignettes all connected in space uh in one locale which is a pizza restaurant and um i don't know i kind of just was, was uh fucking around really just trying out different styles different tones and um seeing w- what i could say in and um in a, a variety of, of, a, of an ensemble all these different people different stories existing nearby each other that I think that kind of thing really interesting um, 
uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of the work. Uh, it's, it's small uh, and, you know, shoddy, but there's things I like very much about it. It's interesting. You said it's, uh, it's a half hour and you sent it to festivals and nothing really happened because of, uh, you know, a big part. How are they going to program a half hour, which I'm removing myself a little bit lately and trying yeah. to say like, or trying to look at things and be like, that doesn't really make sense. Like that's not normal. And we accept these things as normal. And, um, yeah. I feel like if I told that to someone, they would think it's a little weird um, that especially talking about television shows, which are 20 to 30 minutes, why wouldn't they do, you know, a half hour? Um, yeah. It's weird that we're doing these things and we're being more liberated about it. But, um, you know, nobody's telling you. I mean, that's not true. People are telling you not to do stuff all the time. Um, that's the general you. Um but yeah i don't know it's always like you can do whatever you want but you do have to follow these kind of vague restrictions or guidelines in order to get any sort of platform to get that next step of uh showing it to people which you know i don't really think that happens and the same way for music, like performing music and stuff. Yeah, I can't really think of an analog for music as well. But I don't know, it, it sort of makes sense if, if you consider the fact that short film submissions to festivals are like ten times as much as features would be. It's I think it's complete inundation on programmers' parts, so to justify a 30-minute piece amongst ones that are mainly ten minutes it might be I don't know, it might be difficult, but then again, when you go to see short film blocks, they're mostly bad, so the standard's pretty low for those films. Cross festivals, in my opinion, I mm-hmm. think most people agree with that. Yeah, I agree. I don't understand how that works, I have no idea. Yeah. I think there's other elements of the game, too, like, if you don't know anyone, if you, I don't know, I don't know, if you're a letter, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I've programmed short, like, quite a few short blocks, and it's, um, you know, coming at it as a filmmaker as well and just wanting to be like, this would, it just means a lot to a lot of people, not everybody, um, but it means a lot to people to have their work screened. So you either do one 30-minute movie or you can do, in place of that, three 10-minute movies. Um, and naturally that would make more sense and it's it's more variety and stuff like that. But it does take an audience time to, start something, watch it in the beginning and then it ends and then they have to kind of reboot or whatever in order to start a new thing. So if you end up doing like instead of one 45 minute film and then these four shorts, if you just end up doing like eight or nine shorts, that can be kind of exhausting for an audience and kind of similar way. If it's above five shorts, it's really exhausting. You made a television series, a short film, and now we're on the Invincible Hamon Rai. Yeah, it was jumping from one short to one feature. <laughs> one big bad feature. Um, so before we get into that, I'm kind of curious, what made you feel like doing that? Like, as you just said, you know, going from a short to a feature, what made you do that as opposed to just doing another short? Uh, 
Mm. Well, uh, you, you know, I, I'm somewhat reluctant to admit this because I've, my words have been used against me. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, past. we're going to get you. I am a trick critic on Letterboxd. But I will say uh, that uh, I initially had wrote, written a short film called Ham on Rye. Mm-hmm. And it, I was only interested at that time between the beginning of the film when these kids are getting ready to the point where they end up at their destination, which is a delicatessen called Monty's. And shit sort of hits the fan. That was the short. It was twenty five pages, and we had we had um, intended to uh, produce it. We had casted it. Um, we were two or three months out when it was Halloween, and I I, I drank coffee. I'm, I'm I'm very very sensitive to, to any drug of any kind, including coffee. And I had this like manic episode where I was like, "This is a feature. It's not a short." And I started to become very interested. What happens to the people who don't? farewell at this event and uh, this whole narrative bloomed from it and, and it, uh, it, it sort of grew into a feature and, uh, and it happened pretty organically in this way it wasn't conscientious gotcha well you took the plunge definitely and... took the plunge I remember my friend's faces when I said it's a feature now it was just like definitely <laughs> <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't imagine a face like these like oh my <laughs> um, can you briefly give a synopsis for Ham on Rye and why you chose the particular story, which you kind of did a little bit, but maybe there's an avenue we didn't get to through that. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad at describing this movie and I, I'll, I will sound like an idiot doing it but I will do it uh, um, ultimately it's a film about this generation of teenagers who are preparing for what is said to be the most important day of their lives and they all make their pilgrimage across town to a place called Monty's Delicatessen uh, where they sort of cross a threshold into uh, another side of suburbia where the the, the uh, the green lawns and, and the, the sprinklers and the fences uh, sh- sh- show the flip side of with all these dark, empty parking lots at night and these um, no good, you know, people hanging around them um, as the night grows late. Uh, it, ultimately, it's, it's a look at suburbia and growing up and um, crossing that threshold, uh, which to me is a look at. I don't know if you experienced this. I'm sure you did in New Jersey, where there was sort of a mass exodus out of the suburbs from my generation when um, uh, college age came. Uh, almost everyone in my generation went away to school, and it left left the the suburbs a ghost town for people that age, except for a few people who didn't ever leave, and um, most people didn't go back either. So the, the the film is a look at the people who remained versus the ones who uh, were able to escape into the ether. Yeah. Um, and was that all of the questions? Um, oh, and, and why I chose this why? story? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, well. Uh, I do suffer a pretty big guilt complex for being the one to leave, especially when family members of mine and friends, some friends, uh, are still there and. Uh, when I say there, I'm also referring to a place that is uh, not far from the opioid epidemic and uh, things like this. Uh, 
also, uh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't intend to, to have this idea either. <laughs> you know, a friend made a joke very much in passing uh, in a hot tub saying, uh, oh, a place where you go to hook up, like a deli. And I just, it, my eyes just lit up. I just said, I'm going to make this movie about this place. Wow, I want to know what it is. And it just became a vessel for a lot of my, um, you know, nervous energy and how, how we meet these games we play. And, and uh, it just sort of, grew from there yeah that's always so exciting when it when like you misread something or somebody says something and it just clicks and you're like oh my god there's so much potential there that's really interesting yeah it's it's, it's what you live for isn't it yeah i was rambling about the film to my wife because i'm like man i gotta do a podcast tonight the movie is really cool it does this and it's like they do it like it's all these kids and they're going as if it's like the prom it's like this big event but it's so weird it's at a deli and it's like, I need I say more? It's just like such a fascinating thing, like this huge like dance event in like a small suburban town, and it takes place at this deli, and they eat before they eat these sandwiches. Um, yeah, I think there's like four or five people in the world that are exactly like me, and I just sold it to them. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I, sh- I guess I shouldn't be hired to do like ads for movies because I feel like. I'd say that, and that should be enough, but I don't know. Um, But, yeah, it's great. It's really cool, Um, and it hits a lot of stuff that I'm really interested in on um, on just a kind of, uh, I don't know what level, like a surface level, I really love stuff about suburbia. So, like, Pete and Pete, obviously. Um, Even Wonder Years, which we grew up with but you know it's not really our time um uh, Chris, I gotta ask, did you happen to notice pete is in the film sure yeah yeah oh, okay because yeah. some people are just like what really yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no that's interesting um yeah and now on like reflection and learning more things about how our country was uh designed and what that means and who it meant, who it was meant for, you know, to say the least. Um, suburbia is very fascinating to me. Um, right. so in, suburbia is so ma- meant for se- segregation. Mm-hmm. By Absolutely. Yeah. And when I reflect on that, there's, there's warmth, you know, nostalgia. There's, um, a lot of interesting things like, uh, you know, you think about the people you know and you think about like, oh, this person was funny in class and this person was a bully and what was going on. You can think a lot about this stuff and um, reflect on it. And then you learn more about the world and reflect on that. And there's less, obviously less warmth. There's like a lot of like dark shit that you wonder like how ignorant are some people about this? You know, how did, how did, how is this okay? You know, like, I don't know. It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot to unpack. I'm not, when I say that, I'm not trying to put down anybody because I was definitely part of that. And, you know, to some extent I still am, I'm a product of it. So can't really get away from that. But I really loved how your film found that kind of thing, that this weird, like emotional response and intellectual response that I have when I think about growing up hmm. in our small little towns, hmm. suburban towns. When you say that, I'm thinking about nostalgia and how it's such an important part 
of my life, and it's it's one of the things that brings me joy uh, and, and purpose, and it makes me think that life is worth living. But I tend to apply nostalgia to things that are totally oppressive, and nostalgia is sort of conservative by nature, and I think that this is so interesting. Um, to, the nostalgia can almost continue the oppressive cycle, you know? Uh, oh, it was so nice you know, um, back then, the way it was, you know? This was definitely something we had in mind, especially in the production design, mm-hmm. uh, and the music, uh, the art direction overall for the film. Yeah. Well, it's also just like we kind of grew up around the time that the nostalgic nostalgia industry really started to fire up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, big time. Even yeah. worse than it ever kind of was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of were very much encouraged to do it. I mean, that's how everyone consumes media now. Yeah. Movie-wise, too. We want to forget about it. Just talk about movies and what like is coming out and what's popular. It's like it's stuff we grew up with, but it's not just a couple things like it used to be. It's literally everything. It's literally like every Saturday morning cartoon that we had on in the background is now the next five years. Like that's what studios are making. Um, right. right. You can't get away from it at all. No, you can't. And, and, I, and I, I, uh, have a distaste for this as well. I, I we were really interested in, in the movie beginning, like a John Hughes movie, sort of how stranger things is capitalizing off of this, you know, 80s stuff. Mm-hmm. And then seeing like, Oh yeah, it was so fun to do that. Look what it leads to, and, and having the second half of, of the film, Hamon Red, you see, you'll notice the second half is kind of like, look where that all that nostalgia brought you, right, right in this like shithole of the, you know emptiness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's weird, and and it's and it's hard to like. I don't want to sound like a spoil sport or a fuddy duddy. Um, I'm just being honest. And I, and you're feeling it too. We just think about this stuff. Like we have warm feelings, and we're also just like, oh, it's fucked up, you know. Um, well, I mean, I like these things too. I like John Hughes. I, I love John Hughes. Yeah, I really do. And the nostalgia, it, it, it touches me. But but it, but then when I look at it again, I think is what you're the ambivalence you're describing. The second look is where oh, oh shit, you know, like maybe this is not good to see this as permissible, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so your film really touched me on that because, you know, being a filmmaker myself and, like, writing, it's like that is something, or a feeling, a phenomenon, whatever you want to call it, that I was always writing notes. It was like, how do you do this? How do you do this? And seeing all of these things, such as Stranger Things, it's uh, scratching an itch. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. But nothing had ever got the way it was in my mind, but Hamon Rai did. So thank you. Um, And another thing I really liked about it is like how particular the tone is because there's also a kind of switch that happens and it's, I don't want to say subtle is the wrong word, because it's it's the same kind of feeling, but you're seeing another side of it. So you're kind of operating in the same register, but it's kind of like descending. Um, I'm not going to be great at describing it, but I also don't want to be great at describing it because I want people to see it. Um, 
But it is interesting how the beginning does feel like a John Hughes kind of movie or even Linklater, dazed and confused, sometimes slacker kind of feeling. Um, and it, it has this kind of dry oddity to it. And then things get, you know, I don't know how much of a stretch this is, but you mentioned it, but it does kind of feel like uh, Twin Peaks The Return, like towards the end. That was airing as we were editing and doing pickups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's in there for sure. <laughs> yeah, it gets very weird and dark. Um, and it doesn't feel like a kind of mixed genre thing in, in, in a way that maybe um, like Bong Joon-ho used to do, like the Korean New Wave kind of did. Because it's operating on the same register, but you're really like masterful about it being like a slow descent into darkness and it still feels like the same film, but you're kind of peeling away, uh, peeling away these feelings, these emotions uh, associated with, uh, growing up. And then you get to the dark part and there's nowhere else you can go. You kind of have to just deal with this layer now. Um, yeah. How difficult was that? That must've been like crazy. Well, uh, I think it is, true to say that it, it, it was not conscientiously conceived of. It, it was just so where, where things brought me to. Um, and I think that a big inspiration for it is actually, I think that the film really is about the fear of sex. I really do. Um, and I think that the, the centerpiece of the film is sort of this orgasmic explosion that, and I think all the time about, um, how this I think this really only applies to uh, um, people who who are not in, in love or uh, maybe it's maybe more more everyone can relate to the, the, the thirst for for this one night stand that is always always disappointing mm-hmm. um, but there's such a drive to get there there's all the energy in the world and I really wanted to capture all of that energy and especially when it's naive you don't actually know what's gonna happen then it happens and it's an explosion of of you know what an orgasm is. And then what you're left with is you, you, you see the ruse. You, you see, fuck, how did I want this so badly? When what you're left with is total rejection of your experience. And, and that was the structure. That, that's, that's how I modeled the structure of the narrative. Just that, that uh, bipolar sort of um, switch. Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you could even read it as like kind of puberty or something. Sure, sure, absolutely. I, I, people, they, 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 they think back, oh, yeah, I, uh, braces are so embarrassing, but but I remember people wanted braces. I remember people wanted to look older. Like we were always rushing to get right in there. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, I always want, you know, I hated, and people still do it to us. Like we'll, met, we'll meet someone a little bit older that's a stranger and they want to like start giving us advice. I was like, please don't. But I always want to go to kids and just be like, don't rush. It's cool. Like just chill and, and screw around and get in trouble. Um, there's like very little repercussions to doing that. Um, but I don't know, I guess you can't, you can't kind of screw with that. It's just, you want to, you want to just be older at that point. And there's no turning back when you get there. So what are you going to do? And, and I think that what I've learned in my twenties and a lot of my friends as well is that, uh, no one really warns you about what's coming. They just can't. 
Yeah, I mean, and you don't want to know. What'd you say? They might try, as you've alluded to, but deaf ears. Yeah, you you got to find it on your own. Um, find some way for guidance somehow, but I don't know. Um, so you've you finished this thing. Um, what what happens? What, what was the journey like from completion? of production to getting it in front of strangers, like an audience of strangers? Mm. Mm. Okay, well, to me, I, I, I produced the film, and uh, it's a, we made it on a dime, really. Uh, and um, it, there's a hundred or so people in the film in a lot of locations. We had like 15, 16 days to shoot it, all this stuff. And it was such a challenge, but it was so fun to me. And I, I honestly think it's just something I could just, I could just do that. Yeah, no problem. But this time you're uh, talking about, right? You finish the film to the audience. That is where the hard part really starts. Mm-hmm. That is some low shit right there. You just sink so Hard. Oh my! The mental games that you play in post production are just un- unbelievable. Um, I don't. But the, the editing schedule was, I'd imagine, pretty standard. Uh, my editor Kevin Anton and co-executive producer, he um, had gave two months or maybe a month for the assembly cut, and then we had like about eight months or so uh, in just straight editing. Um, after that, um, we, we were screening it to test audiences and editing it all, all the while, and we started to bring in "quote unquote" industry people. And um, I have to say that any success that the film has found is because of Acropolis screenings, which happened uh, happens in Los Angeles. It's uh, run by Jordan Cronk and Bob Kohler, uh, and they screen movies that do not get picked up for U.S. distribution, but do well in the festival circuit and the attendance at these screenings are, are very small unfortunately i mean it'll, it'll grow i hope but right now it's just like the nerds go <laughs> and i've met a lot of friends there and um, um the film was able to find uh, a lot of uh let's just say the fitting eyes through through um through the, the, these connections uh and that's how we got our start in the festival circuit, essentially, is uh, through, through word of mouth, not through open uh, submissions. We kind of went back forth about this, um, and I love talking about it, and, and I think we should because... Uh, Via email, you're saying? What? Via email, you're saying? Yeah. Um, right. What was your perception of film festivals before you had actually been a part of one? Because personally for me, years ago, I kind of imagined it being, I guess maybe because of the shows we we used to go to and stuff, seeing bands, um, I imagined it being all these like really weird films and this stuff from huge international festivals and stuff like that. And it's not like that. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but it's a lot more varied and more than a few kind of crowd-pleasing films. Um it's not something I assumed it would be. Like, I didn't think of it skewing so heavily commercial sometimes. And this initial assumption of the form of these, like, festivals and showcases and stuff persisted until, like, fairly recently, despite me going, like, a bunch of times every year. Um, 
I'm just curious, what was your idea that these things were going to be like, the ones that you would be a part of and be playing in? Well, I had a little bit of it painted for me by attending festivals without a film. Um, I had been to AFI Film Festival plenty of times, which is incredible. It's kind of like a catch-all film fest in Los Angeles, about all the big ones. Kind of like a year in review, even. Um, and also, I went to a festival in Brazil when I stayed there for a summer in 2016 called Old Yard de Cinema, um, which really, really blew me away. Their curation is unbelievable. That festival is so cool. Um, so I had pretty high standards as to what a festival should be like. And I'm finding that every festival is very different from one another. Mm-hmm. I also have to say that my perception or expectations were painted by Hong Sang Soo in his movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of them are just like, this is very sad. Two, two, ten people are in the crowd and I'm doing Q and A, and everyone's praising me uh, when I leave, even though like it's all very sad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was ready for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Some of them are kind of sad, and some of them. Some of them are just like you're at a movie theater and like there's one poster that alludes to a festival being here, so it's a festival. You know that? Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I, don't, I guess I'm important because I'm here. That's weird. Um, some of them are very glitzy and glamoury. I, I don't know. I never know what I'm getting myself into when I when I get on the plane and, and go to them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Some of them, you talk to the filmmakers and you ask them what their favorite film of the year was and they'll tell you a film that won an Oscar two years ago. It's like, what? Like, which actually happened to me. Like, oh, they're like, Moonlight. It's like, yeah, dude, that came out like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's been very varied. Um, yeah, sometimes having a business card is like awkward. Like, why did you bring this? Sometimes if you don't have one, it's awkward. Like, why are you a failure? Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're all different cultures I, I've found. Um, the programming on the whole has been pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Uh, uh, you, it's some, sometimes you wonder like, that's the festival favorite. Like, what the fuck? Like, what is everyone thinking? Like, and, and then you talk to someone, they're like, that's my favorite film, the festival. And you're like, what? Um, like the Acropolis people would not agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of baffling. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have a very solid answer to that other than very varied and baffling. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I talk to a lot of people, um, and there's been some people where it's like, as you said, you know, a lot of the shorts blocks are not so hot. Um, so you're making something and you're like, oh, like, we'll be okay, no problem. And then it, like, doesn't work out for you. And, uh, you know, who knows? I'm I'm much more of, like, if your film doesn't work, if your film doesn't get programmed or whatever, um, that doesn't mean that you need to be mad at the world and that, like, everyone's being unfair to you. But it also doesn't mean that your film is bad. Um, it, cert- it certainly does not mean the latter. Like, absolutely yeah. not. That's one thing that I've had a lot of uh, confusion grappling with, actually. Yeah. Is the, the two hands. One is with your film, and one is how you strategize and play- and, and work your film into the world. Mm-hmm. And they're two skills, and they don't actually correlate. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I-, I don't think you need to be an asshole about it 
there's a difference between being an asshole and just like venting to your friends and like kind of commiserating together. You really need to do that. You need to have solidarity and that's part of it too. Um, but you know, uh, you grew up going to the movies. You would see like this many films open across the fucking country the world this weekend and you would go and you'd be like what was that i can't believe that Ugh! like what and this movie was made for billions you know like billions of dollars spent on it okay millions of dollars um and grossed millions of dollars yeah 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 and like and yeah you'll find some people who are like i couldn't even believe that i agree with you and you'll find other people be like it was masterful you know stuff like that um What's the difference, really, you know, between what you're doing and and that kind of, like, thing that you know, like, the back of your hand, that, like, yeah, bad movies come out and some people like them, uh, you know, it um, it doesn't really mean that your film is bad. And I think the best thing you can do is just be like, so I made this thing and it's, I don't know how I feel about it. I love it. Uh, to me, it's flawed. I feel like I could do better. And do I want to continue making films? Okay, so I'm going to do better the next time and, and try this thing. Uh, and kind of just be proud of your work. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, my perception, it, it almost can be swayed, you know, it's with, <laughs> with what all the people are telling me. It's unfortunate, but, but that's... Uh, sometimes I find that uh, these totally random external factors... Uh, Maybe not shape my perception, but my spirit quite a bit. And it's a fucking shame that that's the case. What do you mean, like? <sighs> Man, it's it's very hard for me to articulate this, but <sighs> if Hamon Rai did not get programmed into any festivals, I, I probably would be pretty depressed right now. But I'm not. I, I'm I'm finding uh, I'm finding. Um, a lot of momentum or at least some amount of momentum with what the film has done. Uh, and it's silly when I think about it, considering how fucking random it all is. I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of persistence on my end. I'm, I'm pretty relentless in, in, in making sure that it goes here and there. I, I really am. Um, but I see the margin of luck and I see like, am I really going to, to, uh, put my, chips and, and, and how much hope I have in my life and, and, and like oh, randomness you know like uh, I, I don't know if I'm articulating any sort of point here effectively if at all but I, I do get caught off in in, 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 in all the making art uh, living with with the dialogue between your art and yourself and, and the world it's, it's a very very skewed and weird dialogue like, you can make a film that no one likes but if enough people saw it like you'd find the people who liked it. Like, it's, 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 it's very frustrating, I think, for someone who creates to, to live with this um, uh, very annoying conundrum. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really, really weird. Um, and it, it takes a lot to kind of dismantle your, um, your preconceived notions of of what the whole system is and what it people teach you or what it's, it says like a, a meritocratic kind of thing. Um, just like anything, 
and we go back to suburbia, like you have this like indoctrination, like these are the rules, this is how it works. And then you become an adult and you're like, oh my God, it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. Like there's like, yeah, like here, here are these kernels of truth and here is why they're true, which is like more kind of, um, I don't know, these, these instances of soft power and uh connections and and money here and and i don't know um it's crazy it's crazy like kind of like dismantling all that stuff in your head and then talking to people who if you say if you dismantle it to them it's either worked for them so they don't buy it or um they uh don't want to hear about it because it sounds like you're crazy or so or you're ranting or too negative or something like that and then you know we'll find each other and it'll be like okay um but yeah i i remember you saying like you're you're emailing people like sending the movie out which is great um it just sucks because no at least you and i and like a couple of other people we know at the very least like nobody wants to send an email like begging like please i work so hard on this thing like that's not a good look you gotta get your shame right out of there but also like you gotta learn to like pretend like you're not begging mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, that too <laughs> it's a whole fucking art form to all these deceptions and manipulations and things like this stuff it's terrible <laughs> yeah it's so weird because it's like the pleasure of making the film then being proud of it and like making it work that you want to and then you really have to sell it and it's just like it's so sad like what if uh that's not you and what if you can't get there ever i know i know and not this is not a direct comparison but i've, I've told you before that i grew up with a ton of musicians and i'm not just saying that they're good to, to just because i know them like this music's amazing that i've heard Really, it's some of the best music I've heard is from people I know. And I've met so many musicians growing up, uh, let's say amateur musicians, people who are doing it because they love it, not for any other reason. And I've came to see all the reasons why these people would never be able to thrive as professional artists. And there's such a gamut of reasons amongst them. It, uh, there's just so much bullshit required to get to that spot space where you you're you, you can make your art you can make your film or your song and no and, and you know how to do it and no one can argue that it's bad you know it, it, you, it's potent it's alive it's real but that other part of you that that, that needs to um, bring it to the world or, or know how to navigate it through the world um, that's that's i think that's a lot harder to come by uh, in, in all the artists i've met in my life and it is bullshit and it's antithetical i think to, to art itself mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, at at this point, I've become more um, peaceful about the whole thing and come to terms with, like, just making something that you're passionate about and loving it and uh, doing your best but not really getting worked up because I can only take it so far um, just because of how I am and who I am and all these other factors. Um, but I have noticed to kind of relate to what you were saying before when you go home and everyone's talking about TV is that like even meeting some people who are into movies, not like us, but like adventurous moviegoers or whatever. Um, 
the only things they tend to check out when they like dig a little bit, they all have a name of some sort. Like I know people who are in love with um what's it called? The uh Safties and stuff like that, and they only know the one with like Robert Pattinson and they they do that and um or like your ghost plant the most. <laughs> yeah, the favorite. The favorite. Not even the stuff before, really. And they know that. And, um, you know, it, it just coming more from a background of really liking um, older stuff, international stuff, and uh, whatever that means, which is like a huge kind of brush. But um, it only ever occurred to me to like make something within my means and to make something interesting that I really wanted. And obviously a commercial aspect is like casting someone that people know, but just even someone taking a chance on watching your movie. Cause I have acquaintances and even friends who have never seen a single thing that I've done. Um, but just having like a familiar face, I couldn't, it didn't really hit me how much of a, kind of nudge that is for people to like sit down and finally watch oh yeah totally totally yeah I mean why, why, why does nostalgia sell so much because everyone only wants to consume things they already know mm. <laughs> uh, and that's a symptom of a very tired uh, oh, exhausted <laughs> culture yeah, consumptive yeah. Culture. well I mean you know they also don't really have a choice and it's very um, it is also the path of least resistance but in terms of in terms of capital, it's a solid fucking bet, you know? They're going to... Path of Least Resistance, oh, I know this, I would check that out. Um, it's You're sold. It's so easy, you know? Um, there isn't, like, a, a huge amount of choices to operate otherwise. So, I don't know. Um, well, maybe they'll, the right-wing resurgence of the world will fall at some point and people will appreciate art again and it'll make this this begging easier for us you know? yeah yeah <laughs> well let's keep working on that <laughs> so what have you got coming up uh, I'm, I'm going to be producing my good friend who I mentioned here numerous times John Davies his first feature film called Topology of Sirens starring uh, Courtney Stevens Will Oldham Alex Jankantai Sarah Devachi and more uh, it's a minimalist mystery uh, starring or featuring a, a woman who moves into a new house to discover a cachet of micro cassettes hidden in a hurdy-gurdy locked inside a closet, um, which take her on a journey to explore uh, new environments and have a plethora of uh, uh, magic realist encounters. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's, it's like a drone musical of us. It's, it's really cool. So look out for that one. And you have a new short film you're doing too. Um, hmm. I, you know what I started to do actually. Um, you, you probably can relate to to. Okay, you have an idea for a movie like that's going to be ready in like a year or so. Like, fuck, you know. I I I I, I'm, I don't have the patience for that. So I started to make movies on my phone. You know, uh, uh, and I, I've made my second iPhone movie in the past six months. It's, it's a half an hour long. Uh, I shot it in one night. Um, with strangers in Twin Peaks, California, which is like a snowy mountain area. And uh, I'm really, really happy about it. It's called Some Do It, Others Don't. And um, I'm going to be screening it tonight for the first time for a, a, a few close friends. 
I don't Whoa. want to publicize it. I, I think it's just a, it's just fun to make movies. I, I want to prove that to be real. <laughs> I'm furthering your stupid career or something. Right, right, yeah. No, I totally agree. I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah, please do, yeah. Um... Okay, cool. Thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. What, what great talks. I, I appreciate this one. Hell yeah, dude. Peace be with you. Yeah, and also with you. What is that from? I don't That's even from Jesus Christ. It's from what? That's like what they say in church. Oh, shit. I ripped from church again. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I see. Come after you. <laughs>